right. Hello, 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 everyone. Uh, welcome to the very first episode of the Curious Storyteller podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Blake Kelly, um, and I'm on with my first guest, Rachel Rothenberg. Uh, welcome to the Curious Storyteller podcast, Rachel. I'm so excited. I didn't know that I was going to be the first guest. Yes, and maybe that is something <laughs> I should have said at the beginning. Um, to give you all just a little lowdown on why I started this podcast in the first place, um, I used to be a TV journalist. Uh, I have a journalism degree, and I really want to get back into uh, broadcasting, and I want it to be fun and playful, and I really wanted to engage uh, with my friends and just have like conversations and riff and just see where the conversations go over the pandemic. I found myself having like hours long conversations with people, and I just like a lot of nuance came out of that and. I figure like, why not record some of it? And then hopefully maybe other people can have, you know, like universal significance from it. Um, and so that's kind of the, um, that's kind of the, the basis of the podcast. There is no, there is no like theme other than like chatting with friends, laughing and maybe talking about some cool stuff. Yeah, totally. Uh, so the way I like to start off is just kind of, telling um, everyone or telling people like kind of how we met uh, and then just kind of allowing the conversation to go from there if that works for you. Yeah, perfect. Uh, so I met Rachel at our friend Stephen John's wedding last fall in Chicago at the Surgical Museum. Yes. Um, which is like, you know, a very specific place. Um, also, Chicago has like the weirdest museums. Um, but uh, we met at Stephen John's wedding. Um, they were getting married. Uh, I wasn't actually supposed to be there because um, I was supposed to be originally be in New York. And then last minute, I couldn't go to New York because my friend had to cancel. I texted Steve. I was like, oh my God, I think I can come to your wedding. Can I please come to your wedding? He was like, yes. And then one of the people I met there was Rachel. Because I had been, I had <clears throat> dislocated my kneecap like a month before. So I was still in a brace at the time and I couldn't dance or anything. Like, you can't do like any of the stuff that's usually people that you did have fun at a wedding like dance or whatever so I was just sitting like you know I was thinking I was just sitting like in a at the one of the tables just like drinking my gin and tonic very forlorn and you just came over and you were like are you are you by any chance a Sagittarius or like are you a Scorpio or something like that and I was like my moon sign is and you're like oh that makes so much sense and I was like are we best friends now <laughs> sometimes I think it's like you have one of those like you have one of those moments where like you meet somebody and it's like maybe it's the alcohol but like you just kind of right. like click yeah really instantly and like yeah i definitely think that like it was one of just those like everything just aligned and we were like hanging out and i'm like i have no idea who this person is but they're, but they're so cool and that is so funny that that's how i approached you because i do not remember that being the person <laughs> i approached you i mean i will admit that like i i was like in i was in very happy form during that wedding, like I was like, I was like there to be at the wedding. I was like, let's dance, like let's meet people. Um, but yeah, I do remember coming up to you and I remember saying something about astrology. And I think that that's when we connected. And I don't remember if I said Scorpio or Sag, but I know you're um, Sag Moon and Scorpio, right? Right, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so I remember just like talking to you a bit and then, I don't know, we connected a little bit, we, we chatted and then, yeah. We kind of just, uh, from there, we got to know each other a little bit more. And now I'm in Seattle right now. 
Um, and I'm kind of, you know, like uh, I've been traveling around a little bit and we've gotten to know each other a little bit more this week, which has been really nice. Yeah. Have you enjoyed your time in Seattle? I am. Yeah. You know, I am working right now. So I feel a little bit more limited on like me going out and exploring the area yeah. uh, compared to I was in Portland a week ago and I really wasn't working. So I felt like I had more opportunity to explore Portland than Seattle. So I kind of want to come back and really maybe during the summer or like in a little bit nicer weather to like really. Yeah. I like, mean, it's also like we're getting like our one freak snowstorm of the year. <laughs> so uh, it's okay. It's hard. It's okay. Like, yeah. But um, no, I mean, I think because we, I mean, it's like it's the power of socials, right? Like, because mm -hmm. we, we were drawing, we we're like, let's be friends on Instagram. And then, you know, I think we were like bonding over political memes or something like that. All this yes. stuff that like now informs, I think, our professional work. That Definitely. Is, like emerging, but also. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes I like, I also like really liked the content that you put out on Insta because sometimes I'm like, I just need another leftist to like, <laughs> to like validate that I am not the insane one. Uh, because sometimes I feel like I'm the one amongst all of the moderates that's like posting and people are looking at me like, like, really? Do you yeah. feel that your feed has turned out that way, or you think? Just no, like, it, I think it's like my own internalness. I don't think it's like actually yeah. my feed. I think it's like like I have this like idea in my head that I'm the leftist. Yeah. When I don't like, I am leftist, but like I don't like. It's like that. Like people, I like. I I think I do want to see my, all of my feed to be more leftist. Right. And, you know, people talk about that like social bubble thing where like you only see the people that you agree with. And I was like, that's really actually not my feed. Not to say that I have like Trump supporters because I don't, but I do find that like uh, my ideology tends to be a little bit more left leaning than I think a mm -hmm. lot of, or, or at least maybe I publicly talk about it more. Yeah. Maybe I think that's more what it is. Yeah. I do think that there's like this whole spectrum about I don't know. I think like even on Instagram, there is some sometimes like some kind of like th there's like rules that I find sometimes really stressful about like how you're supposed to post the kind of things that you're supposed to do, especially like, you know, I have like, you know, like my members of my family are on my Instagram. So like, uh -huh. I don't want to be like, okay, well, you know, here I, you know, like I posted, I posted something um, like an image on my feed after, um, after the Dobbs decision came out and it said something like, you know, and it's like kind of flip, right? But it was like hating cops isn't the only facet of my personality. <laughs> right. I also right. love abortion. And I sort of have, <laughs> I sort of, you know, you sort of like get this thing where, you know, you're like, okay, I'm trying to like be funny, express my politics and like- But also be a person. Right, exactly. And like try to figure out, okay, like how do I, you know, how can I like be in community with people? But like at the same time, I also think that in that in some ways, like the the ways in which you can like kind of present your present your beliefs on socials, like if if you like, so if I'm expressing something about you know abortion or about you know the police or something like that, if you can veil it in humor, sometimes I think the kind people who would otherwise be like, Ooh, what is she saying? Right. Yeah. They, they, they can see it more clearly. I think they're also laughing. Yes. You know? But I think that this is where your Sagittarius moon really shines because Sag energy is very like, I'm going to like tell you something. Yeah. I'm going to like state, state something, but I'm going to do it in this kind of like, I'm fun and I'm free and I'm flowing. <laughs> yeah. Like it's very, this kind of like, 
I don't know. Like I sometimes I've used Sagittarius energy as like able to be able to be like, no, like I'm going to say what I'm going to say and I'm going to have fun doing it. Right. And like, whereas mine, I have a Scorpio moon and like Scorpio moon is, is, I mean, Scorpio moon can have fun, but like, it's much more serious mm-hmm. and it's much more like, here are the facts. Here's what's fucked up. This is why this is happening. Yeah. And I think I've always had this idea, this perception that people have always told me that like, I'm so serious all the time. And like, I'm like, no, I'm just stating things like very matter of fact and clearly, and I don't have time for your bullshit. Yeah. And and I think that like sometimes people want the humor a little bit more so that they feel a, le- a little less like, oof, like, you know, I don't know. Um, and I think that I don't, I have a hard time with that. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I do think that there's, there's room for all kinds of approaches, right? And the thing is like, I'm I'm not necessarily, you know, when I think about my own history and the way that I was learning things, like the way that I learned to f- ferment my politics was spending a lot of time, I think, with people who have that very no nonsense. Like, yeah. here's, here's what's going on, mm-hmm. right? Here's what you need to understand. Mm-hmm. You know, when I think about like, you know, people I grew up with who were, you know, union leaders or were working in reproductive rights and they were, you know, they were people who knew how to talk to an audience, but they were people who saw also the seriousness in it. Yeah. So like, I don't, yeah, I mean, I think that there's, you know, I think that part of the way that I talk about my politics is just because that's how I talk about my life. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, like, yeah, of course. So, um, but I think that, you know, I think that that, that sort of very deliberate kind of hardline thing, like, yeah, it, it is maybe sometimes difficult for people to think but if there's one person out there who really listens then like you've done your job true true so but um yeah but like going back to the wedding i just remember uh, rachel and i were reflecting on this a little bit as we were talking and i think that like that was like a really actually like a really important moment in my life Mm -hmm. because it was a queer wedding it was the first queer wedding i've ever been to and um like also I would, I don't really know this for sure, but like a majority of visibly queer people were there. And I felt like I was able to like, be like, oh, like this is a space where I get to actually exist and like be, and like be amongst my queer community in a way that like, I didn't know everyone, but it was queer. So I felt like I knew them. And it just like felt really good. And I think that's why like everyone, like a lot of people after the wedding were like, oh my God, like you were like, so like, you were just like in a different world. And I was because I like felt so joyous and so connected because like, I was like, it was like, it kind of felt like to me, like it was like my five-year-old that was like, I just want to meet all the other queers and like have them like talk to me about like their lives and their stories and like whatever. And I got to meet so many different LGBTQ people there that like, I felt so like, oh my God, like Mm -hmm. these people are here and like they're living in the world and they have their own stories and they're unique and we're all different. But like, it felt very, I just felt very connected in that sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that, we were talking about this as well. And I think you said something really perceptive, which is that sometimes a wedding can feel like a prom. Yes. You know, in the sense that when you go to prom, right, there's all these attendant, like anxieties. And And like, like, who's the, who's the like conservative uncle who's going to like say something awful or 
the atmosphere is so uptight because everyone is perceptive of that happening yeah. that you like you're like you like don't know how you, it's like you're like trying to move but you're yeah. like I don't know how to connect with you that's that's kind of like every straight wedding I've ever been to and also straight people fix your weddings <laughs> do we think that that should be the title of this episode yes. <laughs> I'm sure that I'm going to get like the, the most hate mail, like from the mail box that doesn't exist. But, um, but why did you let that girl come on your <laughs> and uh, denigrate heterosexuality for, for an hour? Uh, you know, it's so funny that um, this is something that um, I noticed with uh, there's this person I follow, and they've been like a really great um, speaker and like leader in the queer space and uh trans and non-binary space that look big men in mm -hmm. and i saw them um perform live a couple months ago and they do a combo of kind of like their, they read their poetry and then they also do their stand-up comedy and a lot of their comedy is specifically geared towards a queer audience yeah. like it's like for queer people yeah. And I think that like something that they talk about a lot that really resonates is like we we like need spaces to have to like gear towards queer people. Right. Because like even when there is quote like representation or queer people are talked about or whatever, it's still almost like you're being talked about yeah. rather than like it being directed at you. Yeah. And being like, no, like like we're here to do that. And I think that like kind of co-responds with what I was talking about with the the wedding and yeah. and also like when you said like straight people fix your weddings, right? It's like it's like we get to finally say something like that. And it yeah. not have to be this like defense or this like straight people being like, Oh my god, la, 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 la. <laughs> my wedding was inclusive, like right, like and it's like, yeah, I'm sure it was inclusive, but it's not the same thing, right? Right, because right. it's still like a space that <clears throat> has particular sets of boundaries and it's not necessarily anybody's fault it's just no. a different it's just a different thing yes. and when you're in a space i think of of real queer joy which i really think mm. that wedding was yes it the was the vibe joy. the vibe feels it just it feels so liberated mm. in a way and you know maybe it's also like you know that we were just you know it was the first sort of like in-person thing i'd done you know, since being like vaccinated and all of this stuff, but there was this just, I don't know, like it felt really, I have, honestly, I don't have really have that much memory of the wedding, but, Fair. but um, I don't really, that, that I, sort of like, and Stephen John, it's not because it was bad. It's because we were, yeah, you, you had an open bar. Um, but um, I think that, I mean, I think that like, when I think about the the kind of memory of that night, just how good I felt and how connected mm. I felt to everyone. And, mm. You know, how connected I felt to you and how connected we stayed, even though it was like- A moment in This time. chance meeting, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think it also like highlights to me, I don't know, like, I think sometimes I have this perception in my mind that like, you have to take a really slow and steady approach to relationships mm -hmm. and they have to like build in this way. And you have like, there's like all of these, like, I think rules I have in my head sometimes around yeah. how I'm supposed to connect with people. Yeah. Uh, that wedding I think really proved that I was like, no, like I can meet someone one night and like, you know, like, we didn't instantly become best friends and we right. didn't, like text each other every day. Right. Yeah. But like we stayed connected and we actually were able to form an actual connection yeah. and, and friendship or relationship. Right. Um, and that can happen from, from intentional spaces that are created where I think like love, authenticity, care can be present in mm -hmm. this space. And I think that can, can manifest 
a relationship happening when in other spaces we could have been at the same wedding and maybe we like not a different wedding yeah like a different type of wedding and maybe we wouldn't have connected in the same yeah way. do you know what do you know I, no that? i absolutely know what you mean yeah i mean i think that like you know and again i guess this is what i sort of mean about you know feeling like a feeling like when you're in a liberated space you're doing liberated things right and mm. so mm. Um, yes <laughs> yes uh i think that needs to be the quote for the world in 2020 <laughs> when you're in a liberated space you do liberated things and space means community and it does not just mean your own body it means when you when there is physical space in the world for liberation people act and respond and do different things and i guess i'm very feeling very high horse about this right now no i mean you know you should it's true and you should say it like <laughs> yes more of this <laughs> um what was i going to say i mean i think that the i mean the way that i feel like i've done relationships particularly friendships has always been like to have that impulse to want to dive in right away like if i meet somebody <clears throat> and i really like them i'll be like okay we're like we're friends now like this mm -hmm. is how it's working um and I'm also a mixer, which I feel like sometimes stresses people out. A so mixer. also like, what's a mixer? Like, in like I like to have. So like, if I meet someone, right, and my my thought is instantaneously like, well, I like them, so my friend, my other friend should also like them. Oh. So I'm very quick to try to bring groups together, and I okay. think that works with like, like I've had people before be like, you it, you doing that stresses me out. Uh. Um, but I feel like that's my. I want to have this like somehow this Community. circle yeah you know and and i'm not so good at having like kind of discreet like okay these are my work friends these are school friends mm. these are you know college friends i'm always trying to like put everyone i'm basically trying to like match make friends basically mm. a lot of the time that's and cool. i don't know would you find that stressful do you think i think it depends on the context yeah like i think that if like i think that if i knew that like you were trying to do it without letting me know. Yeah. I think that's why I would have an issue with yeah. it. Not that you were doing it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, yeah. I think that if you were like, hey, I really want you to be part of like my friend group. Right. Or like, I really want you to meet these people because I think that you would really like them. Yeah. I would be like, that's so cool. Yeah. But I think that like, if there was like some like, if I like, if you were like, okay, we're going to meet with my friends now. Yeah. And like, I, I want you to like them. I would be like, I'd be like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, well, now I want to not like them because you told me I need to, um, not for any reason about them. Uh, so I think that it kind of depends on the intent of how mm -hmm. I would be introduced or be asked to like do that sort of thing. Yeah. To me, it's all about intent and consent. Yeah. I think for me, most, I mean, I don't know if it's always been the same. I don't know if it's always been the former for me. Like, I feel like that's something I had to learn mm. where it's like, you absolutely cannot make two people that you like also like each other. Um, I'd be like very disappointed in that. But um, I don't know, I grew up and I, I guess I learned something about, you know, about how people, how people function but mm. i still sometimes am like let's just all be like one big group and mm. you know let's all be in community but it depends um, on my mood too mm. because sometimes i'm just like no i just really want to hang out with one person yeah and i really just want some one person to hang out with and yeah. then sometimes i'm like let's yeah let's mingle yeah 
But um, I think this is also something I was talking about earlier too, like I'm a very mercurial person. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's hard sometimes because when I make plans, sometimes I wanna change them because right. I'm like, well, two weeks ago I did want to have a big group, but now I actually just wanna hang out with one person. And it actually has nothing to do with the group or the right. people or whatever. It's just like, no, like my mind changed. Yeah. <laughs> and like that can, you know, that can create hardships in relationships when you're constantly changing your mind or mm -hmm. like you're inconsistent about your plans. And it's, I'm, I, I do also, I used to follow through. Yeah. But even if I, my mood was not there, I'd be like, no, I committed to this. I yeah. want to show up for this person, whatever. And I've, I've actually had to start learning to say like, like, Hey, I'm sorry. I know we were going to yeah. hang out, but I, I'm not going to because yeah. like, because yeah. I'm just not. And like learning that like that's okay for me to say mm -hmm. uh, because I thought that that would mean like that they would perceive it as like a rejection of them or like whatever. Yeah. But, so that's kind of how I've had to like grow in that capacity. Yeah, I think I, I also I think have had to do some of that just in the sense of like, I think when I was a kid, I often felt I also I often felt really lonely. Mm. You know, just like I was a sort of like a bookish kid and you know, very, I had this very internal sort of world. And um, when I got older and I was able to have lots of sort of successful friendships, I felt often this anxiety about keeping them um, to the point, right, where it would be like, I would be neglecting my own urge to be like, I don't want to do, you know, I need to be alone for a while, or I need to not be in this huge group, or I need to not be hanging out with people who actually like make me miserable. Mm -hmm. um, and because I perceived it both as like, not only will they think that I'm being rude, which yeah. is like the worst thing, right? For a child of wasps, right? To be like, oh my you're being rude. You're being rude. Um, <laughs> by, you're being rude by not like, yeah. abiding by the standard that yeah. no one has talked about, but everyone <laughs> understands. You know damn well, yeah. Uh, oh my God, I could write a dissertation on that. <laughs> like wa Midwestern wasps and their unstated expectations of relationships. Yeah. <laughs> by Blake County. <laughs> so I had not only that feeling, I think, but also this feeling of like, okay, like, is this as good as it's going to get? You know, and it's like, as I've learned that that's not, you know, as I've learned that I can have a reality beyond that, I think my my friend, my relationships and the time that I spend with people that I'm in a relationship with has been much better because mm -hmm. I can actually like show up and be fully present in those moments. Yeah. Other than rather than like being panicked all the time. Right. You know, panicked and guilty. Right. Which is like. Right. Because then yeah. even if you do show up and you don't want to be there, then you're like, oh, I shouldn't be acting like I don't want right. to be here. Exactly. Because I was going to be here. Exactly. Right? Like it's, yeah. It's but like, like people can tell, I think, when oh, you're giving yeah. off. Yeah. yeah. When you're giving yeah. off that vibe. Yeah. Yeah. And then you think you're being authentic and it's like a, it's like a whole maze. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I completely, I completely understand where, where you're coming from on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the wasp thing is you know, you, you grow up with these, you know, you grow up with sort of like rules in place. And the weird thing is that like my parents were not, I mean, my dad's Jewish. So that's there. There's totally different cultural context. And my mom who comes from this wasp family, I always feel like is always trying to like push on that a little mm. bit, but it's just like, it's, it's ugh, the wasp, the hegemon is so deep. It's so, it runs so deep. It runs so deep. And like, it, you don't know you're in it when you're so in it, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, for people that have lived in it their entire lives, it's kind of like, 
okay, yeah, this is your reality. <laughs> <laughs> why am I so conflict avoidant? Like, why right. am I so, yeah. Um, and just like not talking about anything until you have like there's an explosive, some kind of explosive, yeah, yeah, yeah. blow up. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, yeah, I don't know. What else should we talk about? Oh, yeah, sorry, <laughs> off the wasps. Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I think... go on, I could go on forever. Yeah, about. no, um, what, um what has been have you noticed has been like uh if you just want to talk about like what's going on in your life recently or anything like you want to talk about or share with people that's like interesting oh or, or like potentially even what i've asked what i ask people is like is there a story that you like sharing about your life or is there like a story or a narrative about your life that like is like interesting to think about um because I, because one of the things that I think about, like with the podcast Curious Storyteller, is very much like we we understand each other through stories, mm -hmm. and we understand each other through like telling of stories too. And yeah. like, I don't know, I kind like this. I I wanted this to also kind of be a platform for people to mm -hmm. share parts of their stories with people, with people, but they want to, of course. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, I always feel like I have this perception of myself as being like as being very like at like being sort of like middle of the road very average um and you know i was like i said i was this sort of you know like very bookish kid i had this very intense sort of inner world mm -hmm. um you know which i which i feel like i do still have to a certain extent i think i i think it's very easy for me to sort of retreat into daydreaming a mm. lot so like i have these very like elaborate um uh, kind of scenarios sometimes where i'm you know and i think this is something that other people have too like as i've met more people just talking to them about like how many times a day would you say that you retreat into a fantasy world of your own making um do you, do you feel comfortable giving an example of what one of these fantasy worlds are? Um, I mean, for me, like for the longest time, right? I mean, I always, I think I imagine myself in this very like external way. Mm -hmm. um, so like when I learned that not everybody has an inner monologue. Oh, that's crazy. It's <laughs> wild to me. I find it like incredibly. Like, yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, like, I, like I, I'm like, what do you mean you don't have an internal monologue? Like, it's hard for me because I'm, then I'm like, well, what, like, like, what's, like, how are you alone with yourself all, like, all day? Right. You know, like that. But, but then, but then, like, but then I like ask them that question. And they're like, what do you mean? I just am, and I and I kind of like look at them like I'm like, like I have moments, right? right. I have moments where I feel completely like my body feels at peace or like I feel this like sense of like calm or like yeah. whatever. And then, and it's, my brain is quiet mm -hmm. and I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I've like paid attention to be like, Oh, my inner monologue isn't working right now. Yeah. But like, I do have moments of like complete peace, but even then there is a dialogue happening right. in my head. That's like, that's kind of like not analyzing, but that's very just like perceptive of what's happening. Yeah. And I just like it doesn't make sense to me when people tell me that they don't have an internal monologue because I was like I I don't I'm like I I'm like I'm like I don't know how to even understand your experience. Exactly. That and and, and it's like I don't know how to understand you. Yeah. Because it's like I don't like what 
like how how do you move how do you go out throughout the day i mean like, it's it's <laughs> it, it, it's something that because for me i mean i think the one the one way that the sort of like internal world the way that i preserved it is i think that my internal monologue often is if it's like i'm a story and something that i'm there also narrating yes right that yes. i'm a character in a, a sort of hyper realistic sort of mm. world so i'm still me but i'm moving throughout space in a way where do you think you like witness yourself or is it less that way i think that i think that in some ways i do i mean i think it's very easy for me to externalize i don't again like i don't i don't know what that says but like sure. i i sometimes I see the way that I move through the world as if like I'm both engaging in it and I'm watching myself engage in it. Okay. Um, and so, you know, that kind of, that kind of fantasy world is something that I think that I've always had. Mm. Um, and it's part of why, I mean, before I started the kind of like PhD gig um, and before I moved to like doing social science, my first love was always writing, like always creative writing. So I went to art, I went to art school um, mm -hmm. and there I did all all different kinds of creative writing, poetry, short story writing, which was my favorite. I didn't know of any of yeah. this. Yeah, so <laughs> I went to the Creative and Performing Arts High School in Pittsburgh um, and then started out wanting to be an English major and then like got sort of like moved to history. But like even now when I, when I talk to people about what I would want, you know, the way that I would want my life to look, look it yeah. would always be like doing something that gives me time to come home at night and, mm -hmm. um, and work on, you know, a creative project, work on a, a writing project. Yeah. On something that, um, is not tied to work necessarily, mm. but it's like just for me, Yeah, you know? So, do, um, have you been able to do that at all? Like, yeah, but I've really had to neglect my dissertation to do it. So, you know, I think in the pan yeah. in the pandemic, I really got back into it, you know, after having not done it for, you know, since college, really. Mm -hmm. um, and being like, I'm going to take time every day to work on my stuff, mm -hmm. you know, to work on, um, you know, my novel idea that I've had for a while, to work on, you know, doing... I have a friend that um, that you know we're working on like screenplay stuff together. It's all that kind of thing, and I find that so restorative because I like to spend time occupying those worlds. Mm. You know, I also was like a big Lord of the Rings kid, mm. and like Lord of the Rings is like a fully realized universe, yeah. and so. Um, there's something about that kind of thing that like itches my brain. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very into like um, I don't know, like I guess is it fantasy the genre? Yeah, like fantasy sci-fi is. Yeah, like I, that's like very much my yeah like mo of things that I'm like enthralled with. What's your like big? Do you are you like a, um, a serious person or like? Like, are there certain series? Well, so, like, a TV show that, like, really got me is the show called The Magicians on sci-fi. I haven't seen it, and oh. it's supposed to be so good. I know. Oh. <laughs> oh, I could talk about this show forever. I haven't seen it in a couple of years because I, like, obviously I had to take a break after I yeah. watched the first full thing. And I, like, convinced my friend Sam to watch it, too. And she, like, her and I have very different TV interests. Right. But she like I like was like you have to watch this, and so then she finally did, 
and um, it's basically like like people basically you know there's like the quote world without magic and then there's the world with magic right and like people they, they do go to the school but it's more like grad school yeah it's like grad school for magicians <laughs> so like that's kind of the theme okay and then there's like a group of friends and they all have their own thing but it the reason why i like the show so much is because it's very realistic mm -hmm. about the fact that like magic doesn't solve any of their problems right and like yes they have all of these like really interesting or unique things that they can do but they end up like fucking themselves over way more yeah because they use the magic in like ways because they can't like they're still human. Right. And I think that like that show kind of highlights that like almost kind of the de demysticism, if that's a word, mm -hmm. uh, or demystifying of like thinking that like if we all just had magic, like our, our lives would be like it's yeah. so much better yeah. or something like yeah. that. And um, at least in that context, right? Yeah. And like it kind of shows that like they just go through their, their lives still like trying to like figure all of it out. But at the same time, it's still very clear that they're all just as fucked up as everyone else. And yeah. that like, and that like, it's also kind of the like, you know, I mean, I, I've never been to grad school, but people can talk about grad school as if it's this like deep, dark place. <laughs> um, and um, I think that like, I don't know, they're just like really real, honestly, about the characters. Yeah. And th there's a lot of character development too. And like, that's something I really look for in a yeah. show. And so that show like really, I don't know, like I, I like, I, there's nothing specifically I can say about it of like one person or one character, but like, I think it's like, it's based on a book, book okay. series, but then, but then the show then went with it and then wrote past what the book was okay so like it starts with the originality of like the characters from the book and then they kind of build on it again okay and then they finally ended it and they kind of had to but i was like don't end it <laughs> um it was it was just like so fucking good um but i mean i watch all and if there's a netflix show or like whatever oh the motherland oh my god okay I what could, oh, okay, it's on Hulu. Okay. Um, the premise of the show, it's, um, the producers are Adam McCain, Will Ferrell. Um, okay. So the, the, um, the premise of the show is that the witches of Salem expose themselves to the American government during the Revolutionary War. Okay. And they say like, hey, we will help you defeat the British if you basically ba make sure that we are like then included right. and, and assimilated into culture. Okay. So like that isn't really that that is like the premise of the show, but that is not the show. It goes to modern day, okay. which is that witches are the American military and only women are in the military. And so it's this huge like uh, juxtaposition or like, I don't know what the word you, we, you would use for that, but um, like kind of like a turning the tables on saying like it's only women in the military. And also that like it's like witches that are the military, too. But then like there's this hostility still by yeah. the American people towards witches that yeah. they think that they're better than everyone else. Right. And this kind of like, oh, like witches are elitists or like yeah. this whole thing. And there's always this kind of like still battle between like, even though they've been assimilated and they are quote, the protectors of the US military, of the American people, that the American people still hate them. Right. And it's still kind of, I think like an observation around the idea that assimilation, if you don't actually have integration does not work. And I kind of think that that's what like that show was like, I mean, that's very high level, yeah. but like, that's kind of what that show was like saying, like kind of showing mm -hmm. to me, like if you are a marginalized group, 
it does not matter how much you try to try to fit in if they still do not like you yeah they're not gonna like you yeah and i think that like that really provided a lot of like um i don't know like a lot of like affirmation for me as a queer person that like you can try to be like the best queer that you can to whoever and like it doesn't matter like people are still gonna not like you because you know because you're queer yeah okay speaking of queers and fantasy uh -huh. um because when you were talking about the magicians it was just reminding me of one of the things that i always found so frustrating about harry potter yeah which like okay let's talk shit on harry potter because, sure okay um <laughs> i mean which is that we're down that road <laughs> it's a world that makes no sense right. right it's a world first of all where do they learn to this is like this is always like the thing now that i when people bring up harry potter i'm like here's the thing where are they where do they learn to read mm. where do they learn to do basic math they don't they don't it's a whole society that she didn't think through i mean leaving aside the the, the racial and gender politics of it which will, which could again be its, it, own podcast, it could be its own podcast and probably people will know how we feel about it yeah but um the fact, the fact that there's no elementary education in this world right absolutely grates on me <laughs> you know that's not something i actually like <laughs> i don't know if i've actually thought about that think uh, about it think about it yeah do they pay taxes <laughs> no do they no uh, i mean do you think maybe in the wizarding <laughs> world they do i don't know i mean they 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 have no like they have no credit system they're they're finance. They're well, what like, about the, the the goblins bank or whatever? Yeah, but they're they're trading like <laughs> they're trading in like doubloons. Right. I mean, you know, right. where's the there's there's no there's no financial security. Yeah. Um, the other yeah. No. Anyway, sorry, that's like no no no. The other but... the other one I want to mention, which this is a book series, it never got turned into anything. Was called Red Rising. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's basically like, um, it's a book series and there's three of them. And now I think there's six, okay. but and I think I've read five of the six, but the series premise is basically, uh, this guy's on Mars, he's with his wife. They're kind of like low, very low income. Mm -hmm. And um, the idea is like the human race has expanded into the solar system now. Okay. Um, and they're told that they basically have to do a lot of mining on mars and yeah. if they do then the rest of everyone else will come to mars and they will not have to do it anymore yeah so at the very beginning of the book this is the within the first 15 pages so i'm not ruining it if you're trying if you're like wanting to read it um basically his wife stands up to the people in charge mm -hmm. and is like this is unjust basically unjust like labor right like basically like very very harsh conditions whatever they execute her so then the main character, the guy, it's like enraged and then like kind of like tries to sneak around to figure out what's happening right. and then basically realizes that like everyone on Mars that is mining are actually just slaves and they're being told this story okay. and this narrative that like we, they haven't, the human race hasn't expanded yet when really it's yeah. like they're everywhere. Yeah. And so they're basically just being all told this lie so that they'll just keep working their entire lives. Wow. And so his goal then becomes that he's going to work his way up throughout the entire system and then destroy it. Okay. And like, so like the entire first book is like him, like him going into like, like the training that like of the elites. Yeah. Right? And there's like a class system. It's like, it's, it's class by colors. 
So like Mars is red, which is like the bottom. Right. And then they're gold, which is like the, you know, the like. Okay, yeah. Whatever. I mean, it's been a couple of years since I read this book, uh, the, the books, but like, if you love political oh, sci-fi, yeah. oh my gosh, like <laughs> it is so good. Also, it had some queer characters in it okay. when I still felt that there weren't a lot of queer characters in sci-fi, um, at least mainstream. Yeah. Um, so that's another one that I absolutely love. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Um, have you, speaking of, um, speaking of Lord of the Rings though, did you watch the, uh, the Rings of Power? Is that what it's called? I, yeah. So I did watch the first three-ish episodes. Uh -huh. Um, I mean, I don't, do you, do you know a lot about sort of, sort of the Tolkien world and. Uh, I am not a, like. Okay. I'm. I have watched all of Lord of the Rings. Okay. And I have watched. The, I did watch the full, okay. that full prequel season. Okay. So like, I can speak about it. Okay. But I am not. I would not con consider myself like okay. educated enough to have strong opinions. Okay. Because like for me, <laughs> <laughs> for me, you know, I mean, when I say like I was, I was a Lord of the Rings kid. It's, yeah. It's sort of um. That's understating. Okay. I like because okay because my thing was um. Lord of the Rings came out, I think I was about nine, mm -hmm. in 2001. Um, and the minute I saw, like, Elijah Wood, Orlando Bloom, um, Figo Mortensen on that screen, I was like, I'm a woman now. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the impetus, I think, for, for my Lord of the I Rings obsession <laughs> was... Um, was just like I I just like want to picture like how old are you in this moment? Like nine. I like I would love to see nine year old Rachel like, in a movie theater. I'm in the theater like <laughs> no joke. I saw Fellowship of the Ring maybe five times because in theater. Wow. Because of the first scene where Elijah Wood gets up and they zoom in right on his eyes. Uh huh. Those like they're not even color context. Those are his real eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They zoom right in. I was like, I've. I, this is mystifying to me, yeah. but like I could not, yeah. So in my like, in my like very obsessive, I think desire to like, just get really into it and find out more about like these hot men. Um, I read all the, the books in quick succession and then all of the sort of ephemera, mm. including the Silmarillion, which mm -hmm. is like the in-universe Bible basically. Okay. Um, talks about the creation of the universe and like the early history of the elves and humans okay. and things like that and so the rings of power is supposed to take place before right yeah like thousands of years before lord of the rings and um when you know it's like elves are kind of still running things i mean you've seen this yeah like you know. I, I watched the, yeah I watched the yeah. Season, yeah and and numenor which is like the atlantis you know it's like atlantis and yeah um, I think what was hard for me with Rings of Power is that so so much of so much of what I enjoyed was the world building mm -hmm. of like the four episodes that I watched. Mm -hmm. Um and to see that kind of um to see those people kind of in, in different contexts. Mm -hmm. then, um but apparently Amazon couldn't get the rights for a lot of the sort of ephemera. Uh. Um, for the Silmarillion. Because it would cost like too much money? Yeah, and, and the Tolkien estate is very cagey about... Oh, so apparently, like, the, the estate was really upset with the Peter Jackson movies, even though um, 
you know, it, it sparked this resurgence yeah. and interest in Tolkien, but they were not happy with the sort of flashiness of it. Okay. Um, because Tolkien himself was just kind of like a, he was like a trad cat, mm. like a kind of, <laughs> you know, like a, like a very like Oxford professor, you know, uh, yeah, right, right, right. Um, just wanted to like write his nine page songs and things like that. Fair. Um, and so I think that they were really wary of the Amazon thing. So what was like weird for me was like, okay, I sort of understand what's going on, but mm -hmm. also like, this is not the elaborate timeline that's mm -hmm. lived like permanently in my brainstem for mm -hmm. the last 20 years. So I like can't deal, um, Fair. which I think, but I do think that, you know, all of this stuff that came out about the, the backlash against Springs of Power, because it was daring to show like, elves you know that there were people of color oh, people show, yeah, and, yeah, 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 and yeah. having like galadriel as this sort of central figure which right. was, if you know anything about any about her at all like it made perfect sense um that also, was like that i found enraging and so it was yeah. really hard for me to be like i didn't love it and not have people be like oh you did like have people try to bring me into like this weird racist club that they yeah. you know I mean, as someone that like watched Lord of the Rings and liked it, but did not have a strong attachment yeah. to it, I watched the I did watch the, the the Rings of Power, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I think that um Gadriel's like storyline mm -hmm. was uh, I really resonated with it because like, you know, the entire time it was like basically everyone was like deal like you're delusional like yeah. straight up like everyone was like you're delusional like what is happening is not yeah. happening and she's like yeah um i don't think so yeah um and like straight up was like the first episode i thought she was such a badass when like she was like basically forced to ascend to heaven and she was like no no yeah. <laughs> and i like i like i was like yes <laughs> like yes like this idea and like right like because it was also like like this is the highest thing that mm -hmm. elves can do. And like, we're giving you this gift when really it was kind of this like sinister as like get out, like we don't want you here anymore. Yeah. But like, so go to heaven. And yeah. she's like, bitch, like I'm here to save everyone. <laughs> like, <laughs> and and like, you know, like the the line that she kept on talking about is like, and she, she repeated it multiple times, but in different contexts yeah. that, you know, like in order to find the light, you must first, first touch the darkness. Right. And I like, I really love that as a concept because I think in like reality, current reality, there's this like, there's this like nuance of toxic positivity and mm -hmm. like this idea that we always have to be this like, that like once we're like a fully evolved, we're like all these like fucking enlightened people. Yeah. And it's like, no, we all carry darkness. Yeah. And like darkness is actually even okay. And like you actually have to be with the darkness to like yeah. understand the light. Yeah. And I I don't know. I, there there's a lot about it that I I just I actually really resonated. I with. think I am gonna go and watch the rest of it. Yeah. Just because I feel like I owe it to myself because Fair. like people that I people that I trust and whose values I like whose values I appreciate or whose opinions I appreciate, um, like you and others have been like, no, it's actually great. I just think I have to like get past. Things. I have to see it as its own product rather know? than rather yeah. than the like nostalgia. Yeah. yeah. And it's like I straight up love like House of the Dragon, for example. Mm. Um, and I know people who are like big George R. R. Martin fans who were having the same okay. thing, being like, "It's not this, it's not that." And I would, you know, with that, I was able to be like, "You, you guys need to like Calm get down. a grip." Now yeah. that is one thing I, I like. 
I I don't know. People might hate me for this, and I just like don't care. I just like don't like. I just don't like. Um, uh, yeah. What is it like Game of Thrones? I do not yeah. like Game of Thrones. I watched the entire first season, and I was like, I don't. I like this is giving me nothing. Yeah. And then the final season, I watched the last three episodes because everyone like. Yeah. Everyone was like, oh, <laughs> and I did, and I still was like, this means nothing to me. Yeah. Like I I like I read about it the in between basically to get the cliff notes of yeah. what's happening, and I know that's probably the reason why I didn't care, but I still was just like, I don't like I. I don't know. I had a really, I had a really hard time connecting with that show. And I also think it's just because it was like, it was really bloody and violent yeah, and unnecessarily so. Yeah. And I think for me, like I, I do not have a problem with things being bloody or like violent, but like when it's doing it for violence sake, mm -hmm. I get, I feel very disconnected. Yeah. And I'm just kind of like, okay. Yeah. I do think that Game of Thrones, like the, the, that like how this house of the dragon is a prequel right i think that game of thrones the series suffered a little bit from like hbo syndrome oh. where it is sort of like a lot of gratuitous mm. blood and sexual violence especially yes um yes which you know i i found difficult to deal with yes i did like the show and again i Fair. think because it it did itch some sort of Lord of the Ringsy part of my brain, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, this is a fully realized universe, and this is. Mm. But I get the same feeling from like Star Trek, which right. is not right, which is radically different from mm. you know Lord of the Rings and um, Game of Thrones in the sense, right, that it's a utopia, not a dystopia. Mm. But it still, it still scratches that like. Yeah, politics and you know, mm. magical politics feels good. Part mm. of my brand, you know. Yeah, maybe bringing that back too, like because you were saying, like you got lost a lot in yeah. daydreaming. Like, do you think that there was, um, like what kind of tied that to? Have you always just had this like dreaminess or like connection to yeah, like I mean, world building so, or? Yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, like I, I always I think have felt. I always have felt really drawn to doing that kind of work and to um, being attached to dreaming and also to mysticism mm -hmm. um, in a way. So, you know, I was very interested as a kid in like religious mysticism. I think a lot, from what I've heard talking to like other particularly women who have gone into like religious studies or anthropology is that they all go through this kind of like weird religious phase mm. as kids where they like, I really wanted to be a saint and I was like really obsessed with like the lives of saints. We're not Catholic. Like yeah. I was not engaging with saints in any way. Yeah. And I was like, I want to have a transcendent experience. Okay. Like, <laughs> Oh my god! That that could not be more of a Sag moon description <laughs> if I ever heard one, because like Sagittarius energy, like of impersonal planets, like especially especially a moon sign is like, um, you know, like religious or spiritualism, mm -hmm. like education yeah. and or transformation of experience. Yeah, like that. Like to me, like that is like the envelope. I saw I saw on, on Instagram one one time like people made shirts for each sign mm -hmm. and it said, no, I'm not going to become a cult leader. I'm just a Sagittarius. <laughs> and I, and I like cackled because like, it's not real, right? Like, like not all Sagittarius's are cult leaders. And, like, yeah. That's like a really obscure thing to say yeah. in of itself. Right. Yeah. But like, like Sagittarius has that energy yeah. of very, very being like, I want to experience this like, like metaphysical yeah. thing. Yeah. And like, I'm also going to learn about it. Like, yeah. intensely yeah but then also like talk about it relentlessly oh yeah 
No, I mean, they were sick of me. And like, I was just recently talking to somebody about, um, about fasting girls, which is this particular genre of saint um, who they would stop eating basically because they would be claiming that they were being fed like, um, you know, they were being fed from heaven basically, mm -hmm. that they were receiving food from heaven. Um, and a lot of times they would like, maybe uh, hopefully this is not too like intense for the podcast, but a lot of times like the medieval fasting girls would um, like drink water that like lepers feet had been washed in okay. or they would eat like like scabs and stuff as like oh, wow. a, as like a symbol of their of their purity and um i mean i that wasn't the kind of shit, like, that wasn't what the kind of thing that i was thinking of but i was thinking like you know like i'm gonna touch the face of god you know it was like mm. this kind of thing and um as i got older i think you know my, that kind of intense thing like fell away but i was always very interested in thinking about these other worlds right mm. and thinking about these other kinds of states do you think that thinking about that other world bu building was like uh its own version of touching god if you will yeah but i would have to sorry <laughs> <laughs> there's my hard-headed question for you um yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's, to me, there's something very sacred in the creative process. Yeah. And I think I don't mean sacred necessarily in like a dogmatic sort of or way. Or like a religious context. Yeah, yeah, but I do think that there's something said, that there's something about going through that process and the sort of like generative headspace and that is set apart from, you know, the, the rest of the rest of life, mm -hmm. which is sort of the the oldest mm -hmm. definition of sacred, right? Something that's set apart. And so I have always felt like there is a kind of holy energy in people who have those sorts of, who have that capacity to create. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that, that thinking about it in that way both has helped me sort of reconcile myself to religion um, and has helped me, I think, think through like my own, interest in like spirituality and religion i think in a in a world where religion is so damaging also mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. and also like working through my own shit about that and yeah. just and to try to seek it out in to try to seek out that kind of that kind of transcendence in things like art in music mm. um in you know in care you know in relationships between human beings that's been really profoundly healing for me mm -hmm. i think yeah um, i think you actually touched on something that's really that like i don't know i'm sure people talk about but like that transcendenceness and in, in of itself can actually like comes from where we are yeah like in where we like yeah like physically are and how we connect with people and what we experience mm -hmm. and like watching a musical for me is transcendent right like and we all have our own thing yeah. right but like me watching a certain musical is transcendent for me or like me listening to a certain piece of piece of music is transcendent for me. And like, is that spiritual? I don't know. Yeah. Like that's, it's kind of one of those things you can debate it all day right. long, but there is no answer. Right. Um, and I think that for me, it's become a lot less as someone that has a lot that came, has like is healing from a deep religious trauma. Um, it's been like less about me healing, like, my relationship to quote like organized religion right. of a church and more about how i feel like deeply connected to everyone around yeah. me yeah and like regardless of 
doctrination or dogma or, or zealotry or, right. or or whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just it helps you to it helps you to to in some ways at least it's helped me to sort of disjoint those feelings mm. from that that feeling of connection that feeling of being somehow in union with everyone mm -hmm. from like a certain dogmatic tradition yeah right because it's like it doesn't you don't just have to that doesn't just come from the space of the church or something like that right, right? um which i find really um I don't know. I think when I was able to think of, think about things in that way, you know, I was raised in a very religious family, but it was it was a, I was raised in a very I mean it was very liberal religious family, so I didn't come out necessarily with a lot of, um, of I think religious trauma in the way that like other queer people have exp experienced mm -hmm. religious trauma. But I think that I did come out with somehow this knowledge that like institutions are not safe, like in, like those sorts of institutions just are not safe. Yeah, because there's not. There's no like like right you know so I which there are <laughs> right um so I I I think that it was I was sort of on this like journey of self discovery if I can be like yeah very like cool about it but like I um I think that now you know that's where I sort of am able to feel those feelings when I'm with people you know like to me you know being in a bar with a lot of my good friends and and talk and, and you know or that wedding mm -hmm. you know to me yeah that's something where i feel that kind of like you know what the quakers quakers call it the still small voice right where you just feel that intense connection mm -hmm. um and it's like this it, it, it's somehow this transcendent thing yeah 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 i i feel that i no i yeah. I, I feel it too i and i and i think that like that's kind of been my own quest, mm -hmm. if you will, is to seek that out, not in a way where I'm like clawing for it, but right. in a way where I'm like, where do I experience this and how do I experience it? Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I was also very much like in fantasy land or world building as well, but just, I mean, mainly because like it gave me, I mean, it gave me solace mm -hmm. to like, not be in the situation that i was yeah. in anymore or just yeah. like that i didn't have to think about it for a second yeah um and i think i was always kind of quite obsessed with like other worlds and like mystical powers and like you know kind of being drawn into this world of like going on a quest or something mm -hmm. like that because um i don't know it was just um i was just always very drawn to it yeah something about like the the quest right because that's like i mean all of fantasy centered around that the quest right? And it's it is this sort of, you know, so like in in South in the South Asian Islamic tradition, which is the way that I came, the way that I got interested in studying India was through studying Sufism in South Asia. Mm. Um, so Sufis being like Islamic mysticism, mm -hmm. um, and in South Asia, a lot of the ways in which um, the Sufis sort of talk about the mystic experience is mm -hmm. to. Um, is to do it through storytelling and particularly through like fairy tales. That kind of it's called so in, in Persian it's called the Dastan, right? It's the um it's like the hero's journey, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of like it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you think that they're writing about like sex, but they're actually writing about God. And when they were actually when it seems like they're writing about God, they're, they're actually, actually writing, writing about, about sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, when I was, you know, studying 
Urdu and I was like doing these translations, mm -hmm. I was like, this, like this track somehow, mm -hmm. you know, that there is this connection between that kind of narrative form and this, like, and this desire to, um, this desire to somehow be more than this to see more than what is right? yes um whatever that happens to right be. whatever that is yeah um and so yeah yeah I, I i understand what you're saying and i think that like i definitely feel that a lot of like this deep desire to experience more than what is mm -hmm. but at the same time i think i also have to like ground myself in that like not seeking just to seek yeah and like not seeking because i don't know what else is like because i'm yeah like of, yeah like seeking something outside of myself yeah and like what's the like what's the balance between that yeah and like um also that like you know religion indoctrinated or zealotry religion has used that quest knowledge mm -hmm. to like murder yeah. so many people yeah <laughs> and so you know um you know there's been countless wars throughout yeah. our civilization yeah. based on that that, that yeah. sort of like quest yeah. and so i think it's kind of um you know like holding the balance between this idea of quest and also this idea of people using that as justification for unmoral behavior or i i don't know not unmoral but like violent behavior yeah yeah, I mean, I think like as much as you know, because it's also so like the whole idea of, of the quest in the night and the you know all this stuff. It's also been used very much so by the right wing. Uh -huh, right. Uh -huh. um, I was just as I was like sitting here talking to you about like Sufi fairy tales and stuff. I'm thinking about like someone like Jordan Peterson, who also is, uses this like dragon, you know, like slaying the dragon kind mm -hmm. of imagery to like basically tell young men like <laughs> you know like the way that you do this is to like vote republican which like <laughs> which is like so and i think that actually i think that really highlights to something that like i think about a lot because i really feel like an experience when i am seeing movies or like mm -hmm. when i'm experiencing art kind of how like you were saying yeah. like that and just how much power i really think that like media creators oh, yeah. and like storytellers actually mm -hmm. have and how they actually dictate culture in a lot of ways oh, yeah. and the people that are have the platform to end up being able to reach those audience have such wider impact than like we ever will know mm -hmm. and i just think it like it highlights to me just how much i want i don't know like not just like queer but just like people of different groups in general to be able to like have that be to be able to have those stories told mm -hmm. because telling those stories is actually what changes the culture yeah. and i think that's why in recent times like with the don't say gay bill and the like whatever the, the all the other shit that's happening in florida and like all of these you know these like attacks of trying to stop you know mm -hmm. drag performances is because they're trying to stop us from telling our stories oh yeah right and it's like the first it's like not the first but it's the many steps of fascism yeah of like burning books and like yeah. banning books because we don't want because if our story isn't told then we don't exist yeah. and it's a form of erasure yeah and i think that that's also why i think i've always been drawn to otherworldly storytelling mm -hmm. because i've always been like i want to know the the depth and the breadth of like other people's understanding of their own lives yeah. and how they live it and like what comes from that and what that experience is like for everyone and i think that like when we're sold and we're like even in this current like society that we live in 
that like it's like 85% really kind of the same narrative. Yeah. And the same people telling the same stories. And you're kind of like, there's other stories, guys. Like, yeah. like we really need to we need to to really uh yeah to like focus on yeah. on other people's stories. Yeah. This is a conversation I have with my students a lot because mm. um, you know, the, I teach I teach like legal studies. And they'll often want to talk about things like the Don't Say Gay Bill. Like, what is the purpose of that? And their thing is like, when society's so advanced, why, adva you know, advanced in their thinking, like, why are these things still happening? And I'm always like, when people are taken out of public life, which I think is the same thing you mean, right? When people can't tell their stories, yes. they, first of all, they can't fight back, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're, they're driven so outside of, um, outside of this community right and also that when people don't when people don't tell their stories other people don't hear those stories right right and i'm always like the supreme fear is for for the the powers of oppression right is that more people hear those stories and most more people see themselves in those stories too Right mm -hmm. and say, mm -hmm. you know, and we move toward this towards a, a more liberated space. Yeah, and I think yeah. speaking speaking now from like my own experience of growing mm -hmm. up like queer in a very mm -hmm. small town in you know the border of Illinois and Iowa, like you know twelve sixteen hundred people in my my hometown, like there was no queer representation, mm -hmm. and like there were no stories being told about queer people, and mm -hmm. queer people did not exist in public in my hometown. Yeah, so like you know, the only, and the only stories that were being told or the only stories that I heard about queer stories yeah. was on the news, basically people dying from AIDS. Yeah. And it was a very like, it was like if and it, that, then that narrative then got created that like, if you were gay or queer, then you were gonna get AIDS and die. Yeah. Right. And like, because that's the only narrative that existed. And so like, you know, even when Will and Grace came along and whatever, I mean, I guess it was representation and in of itself, it was, I, it was, I guess, revolutionary at the time, but it was still like, I don't know, like a very like butt of the joke sort of um, representation that we had to sort of like be funny, but in a way that was deprecating yeah. in order for people to like kind of accept us. And so I think, I don't know, for me, the reason why storytelling is so important is because it allows other people to witness themselves through other people's stories. Yeah, I think that that's, um, you know, and I think it's I think it's important that people hear those stories when they're young, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, as 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 young as possible, really. Right. You know, and I and again, like I think that that's so much of where the fear, the the fear and the and the rage and the hatred is coming, and the things like banning drag shows and things like this, because mm -hmm. this idea that young people can learn early on, right? Can learn early on that not only not only is this something you can be, but it's also something that you can thrive mm. being, right? It's not something that um is is only like, like dark or anti-social you know these which is the narrative that was sold to us for so long right. right um and i remember like being you know i must have been in high school and um you know when i went to high school i had you know at the art school there were so many queer teachers that i had mm. and i was just sort of like coming to an understanding of myself at that age and just seeing right like these queer elders who like we, I had a teacher who um, 
I took film appreciation from when you were a senior. If you had really good grades, you could take film appreciation. Ooh, uh, and um, <laughs> I know. Um, and he would just tell us all the time about like he would just tell us stories about like being young and being at Studio Fifty Four mm -hmm. and like having this really just vibrant queer life. Yeah. You know, and like to me having having those people in my life mm -hmm. when I was when I was a kid or you know a young person it was so important I think for my perception of my future self mm -hmm. to see people thrive you know not to see people thriving and happy oh and man I would have killed for that <laughs> sorry I, I'm not trying to make Mr. this up Keener if you're out there you're oh, listening we love you oh <laughs> yeah but um yeah, I mean that was like it was a big thing for me. I think to, to and I had grown you know I'd grown up with queer with queer people. My uh, one of my mother's uncles um, was gay, and he was I mean this was in the 1950s mm. in what in, in um, like right on the border of Pennsylvania and West Virginia, and it was just something that was so. Um, it was just it wasn't even that it was something that was like denigrated. It was just that it just didn't exist mm -hmm. right it was not something that um that people like talked about and it wasn't until after he died that re that we really learned like the full extent of the of the queer life that he had lived mm -hmm. and um you know it's 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 hard for me to it's hard for me to think about how just how it must have been for him but i also think that he was somebody who um he 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 was always like a, a he was always like a mentor to me because he was like very eccentric mm. definitely somebody who was like living in that who had like also a deep internal world yeah um but um even just to know right that like he existed and that like he had the way that he loved and and the people that he loved and the way that he built his community like just to know that that existed in like Fayette County Pennsylvania wow. in the 1950s and and it's there's a, an archive on like reel to reels and things like that and letters and oh. all this stuff like to me it's like this is what i mean when i talk about like a, like a sacred or holy thing oh. you know like, yeah just to know that that was there yeah, yeah. that's so sweet <laughs> That's so sweet, well, and 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 that's so great that you also had those teachers yeah. in that time to kind of have that affirmation, and it's yeah. why queer visibility is so important. Absolutely, it's not just. I mean, it's and I'm not putting I'm not putting on putting pressure on queer people to be more visible. I'm just saying that like it's why having mm -hmm. visibility is important so that it can provide that sort of like visibility and understanding for p other people. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make it about me when I was no, like, I wish I had that. I just I just like I'm thinking back and I was like, oh my god. No, I wish every like, I wish everybody could have yeah, could like have it, I you know? did not have any sense of the term of any queer role model growing up. And I like was like desperately <laughs> wanting it. And like when I went to college, it was interesting because I like was on a I then was on a um a competitive speech team. And the, the speech community was like predominantly LGBTQ. Yeah. And so it was like really weird because I went from going to having like, like almost zero queer like friends mm -hmm. to like almost all of my friends being queer in like a like two month span, yeah. span. And it was like, but they were like my peers, they weren't really my mentors. So it was like really, it was just like a really weird juxtaposition mm -hmm. for me to go through that I was all of a sudden like, oh wait, like 
okay, you're all queer too. And I, I can be queer. Yeah. I think I can be queer. Yeah. Uh, so it was, and it was, it was really, it was really interesting. Um, but anyway, we could probably talk forever, but <laughs> I know we're past the hour mark, so we should okay. probably wrap it up. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to just say or share? Um, no, I'll just say it again. Straight people fix your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> if you take away one thing from my, from, from my, from, if you take from that away, episode? my time will not have been ill spent. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I love the adamantness about it. Um, do you also want to share, like, wh- like, like at school, what you're studying? Yeah, you just, like mentioned it, but like didn't actually um, talk about yeah, it. Yeah, so I'm a I'm a doctoral candidate at the University of Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully graduating this year. Mm-hmm. Thank you, hire me. Um, <laughs> and um, I'm in the School of International Studies there, but I'm an anth- I'm trained as an anthropologist. Um, and my interest is in political anthropology. So um, the relationships that people have with with states and state institutions and how they think about their, how they formulate and think about their political selves. Which is also a good segue for me to, um, to cross brand, <laughs> which is uh, we, Rachel and I are also launching a separate podcast uh, called Burn It Down Already, which will probably be premiering around the same time this one comes out. Um, so if you are interested in, um, you know, hearing Rachel and I riff and gab about political, uh, ideology or political understandings of the world, then you should definitely listen to us over there. Yeah. Like and subscribe folks. Awesome. Was that what you say? I mean, if you, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> We're new to this. Yeah. Um, Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. Thank for, you so much for having me. Yeah, it's for a, having me on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure. Awesome. Well, I hope all of you um, enjoy the very first episode of Curious Storyteller podcast. Um, of course, my name is Blake Kelly. Um, if you guys have any comments or questions or you're interested in anything that we talked about, feel free to reach out to either of us. Um, you know, we're we're up for the conversation. And, you know, follow along. Um, and I hope you um, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I hope you listen to more. All right. Well, talk to you later.